Welcome to Grace Life Church. Happy to be here today. Are you? Awesome. All right. My name is Diane Hendricks, and I'm here to uh, give you a little bit of information to help you get ready for worship. But then I thought, am I really doing that? I bet you're ready after that. Oh, my goodness. Um, as the parts of the lyric were saying, I speak Jesus uh, for my family. I thought about my family, but I also thought about all of you and just praying that, you know, the Lord would um, bless you uh, today, whether you're here in person or whether you're at home uh, watching. We all need to speak that name, don't we? We all need Jesus. And so I pray that our time together today will um, just help you to, re to refill and to refuel and to get back to it. Uh, we're starting the week, and, and there's no better way to start the week than to be here, uh, being here with you. And, uh, you know, for those of you that can't be here, um, you know, we love you. We just want to continue to remind you of that. We're waiting for the day where we can all gather again. Uh, but for now, uh, we just, just know that you are loved. And I, we recently moved. We have a little bit of a commute uh, to get here uh, in the morning. And I was thinking about, you know, we're getting ready to make the second quarter schedule for the ambassadors. And we have some ambassadors who are, are going to be um, still worshiping at home and they're not able to serve. And um, in some of those areas, and I know it, uh, it, it, it's probably a burden for members of our church who, who can't gather right now for different reasons, but I thought, you know, maybe if those of you at home, I'm, I'm speaking to you, if you were on the setup team, you know, your commute is less right now, right? You probably go, you know, from your uh, kitchen table to, um, you know, your living room where you uh, gather with us online, but maybe, maybe you get up at that same time. And you pray uh, for those that are, you know, here setting up or, or even if you were on the prayer team, you take that time to pray. And I thought, how cool would that be if, if whatever job you did, whatever time you normally were here on campus, if you prayed during that time for those that are here and pray for those who will come to Grace Life Church and to hear the gospel. And um, I, I'm sure you're already doing that, some of you, but that, that thought occurred to me uh, today, and I thought that would be pretty cool. So um, just know that you are loved, uh, whether you're here in person or, or at home, or, in, or even for those of you who uh, we don't know, we have, um, we just, we love you, and we are glad to um, be able to share uh, Jesus with you. You'll see this QR code on the screen. For those of you who are new here and you um, want to have access to the scripture, you can hold up your phone and uh, your, the camera mode of your phone, and it'll pop up a, a link to our website. It'll give all of this information, uh, including the scripture, how you can give, um, our events, different groups that we have, just a wealth of information. If you already have the church app, you can just open the church app up, and, and the second button in is, is the scripture, which is awesome. There's everything that you um, need to know. All of the information in our church is really housed right inside that app. So if you haven't downloaded um, it already, I highly um, recommend that you do download that. And then if you need help with that, you can ask myself or Megan, and we'd be happy to help you um, navigate that app. Uh, each week we have a special Grace Life Welcome that we like to read, and, and some people like to say it along with us, and I think it's a, it's a great reminder of why we are here. So um, I'm going to say that welcome right now. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness and to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church, our church, opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. All right, so a couple of other things. Um, we don't pass an offering plate here at Grace Life Church. Our members give. We have a donation um, box that's right inside here by the doors. Um, you feel free to um, do that, place your offering in the box as you exit. And another way that you can give is through our church app. And then you could also, um, from our website, you can get the church office address and you can mail in um, your support for ministry that way. Uh, we'd like to connect with you. We have connect cards on the offering box. 
Um, and then we also um, have ways where you can uh, connect with us online through the app or online as well. So please let us know, especially if it's your first time here and you want more information about Grace Life Church. We would love to uh, meet you today. You'll see ambassadors that have name tags. Um, really just find uh, anyone and uh, let us meet you today and, and welcome you in person. And now for our scripture reading. We're in Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 15 and going all the way through verse 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawness, lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, good morning, Grace Life, and good morning, everyone who's watching from home. We're grateful that uh, the Lord enabled you to join us today, whether it's digital or in person. My name's Tommy. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm super excited to finish out this section in Romans chapter 6 today, and um, excited and expectant for what God has for us. This has been a thrilling, exhilarating time of study for me, and I always pray, Lord, do for me do for them what you've done for me, but even beyond that, more than Ephesians 3, more than we could ask or expect or think. And, and I want to pause and pray now, and I also want to pray for just what's going on in the world. It's uh, hard, to, hard to escape that right now, if you, unless you're in a cave somewhere, that we're on the verge of, of, uh, lots of lots of conflict, lots of wars, lots of countries, lots of talk. Everything Jesus said there would be, right? He said there'd be wars, and there'd be r rumors of wars, um, and wars on a big scale just show that there's also wars on a small scale in our heart. And what's true of, of us is also true of leaders, that there's hunger. And we're, we're going to talk about that. All of this really relates to what's going on in the world stage. But I'm sure you've seen some of, some of the same videos and images and heard some of the same stories that I have uh, of people in Ukraine and just what they're up against right now. So I just want to pause think it would it would be uh, fitting for us to do that as a church and I know you'll be doing that in your community groups I know you're doing it individually God cares about this world and he cares about the people in this world and um, all the individual lives and, and stories in a country on both sides people in Russia that that are not united with their leadership and people in in Ukraine that are afraid and and terrified of what's happening and some of them, I've seen videos of sending off their little ones to safety while they stay behind and fight. It's just crushing to see that. So I want to pause right now and pray. Pray for our time together. Pray that God would open our eyes and our hearts to receive from Him His Word. That's why we gather every single week. We gather expectantly. We, we gather prayerfully. We ask God to do big things, transformative things, miraculous things. And He wants to do that. He wants to show His power right here today in our hearts through His Word. And we also ask him to, to care for this world. And so I want to do that now. Let's pray together. Lord, please come. Fill our hearts 
with truth today. Open our eyes to see the truth, to celebrate it, to recognize it as from you and not counterfeit. Protect these people from anything I would say that would be confusing or misleading or wrong. Lord, I'm a man. I surrender and submit to your word and ask for your spirit's help as I prepare sermons every week that I'm a flawed man, Lord, and, and I'm flawed in ways I don't see. That's why I need the body of Christ. I need the prayers of your people, Lord. I need friendships and, and insights uh, from the people here and those that have gone before, and I'm grateful for that. So we pray for our time together that it would be powerful, it would be meaningful. We would exalt the risen Lord. We would see him and, and all of his power and beauty, and we would see ourselves in, in light of that, our new identity and the path that you have laid out before us, the, the invitation you have given us, Lord, to walk in the truth, to present ourselves to you, Lord, as slaves of righteousness, slaves of Jesus Christ, and to turn from the life of sin and to recognize, Lord, that we are in a, a new dominion now under a new authority. We have a much better um, master now to rule over us, and may we surrender to you and, and present ourselves to you. And I also pray for, for our world. I pray, Lord, for the people of Ukraine. I pray especially for, for Christians and churches in Ukraine. Help them to stand united. Help them to reach out to the people who are sad and afraid and angry and bitter. Help them to be places of refuge and people of resources, Lord, to help them. And I pray for the people of Ukraine. You would protect them and keep them united. I pray, Lord, for, for justice to be served. You are a God who, who loves justice, and you want us to pray for justice to be served. And I pray for corrupt leadership. I, I pray, first of all, for repentance for, for Vladimir Putin. Lord, grant it to him. He's a man who's blinded by his lust for power and corruption and greed and hunger for things that aren't his. And I pray for him. You would grant him repentance. Open his eyes, Lord. And I pray for justice to be served, Lord. And I pray for our nation and other nations to do uh, what's best, Lord, to serve that justice. And... Uh, Pray for the gospel to be advanced through all of this. We know you are doing a million things, even in hardships and times of tragedy and war. You're, you're at work. You're bringing good from, from, from ashes, Lord, and we, we pray you would do that and remind us of that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this section in Romans begins with a question. If you were able, were able to follow along with Diana she was reading look at verse 15 615 what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace Paul is responding to the the previous verse there which says sin shall not have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace and he's as a good teacher he's anticipating objections and reactions that are wrong and misleading and dangerous he's saying I know what you may think when I say you're no longer under law but you're under grace you're thinking excellent that's what I've been waiting for my whole life finally I can live the life I've always wanted to live without any fear of repercussions without any danger or caution I can throw it all to the to the wind you know grace wins and I live the life I want I can have my foot in both worlds and Paul kind of dealt with that earlier in verse 1 when he said uh, should we should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? And he said, certainly not. The strongest negative in Greek, the language of the New Testament is written in, you can give. So this sounds repetitive, but it's not really repetitive. In verse 1, he was dealing with the question, is grace dangerous? And here in verse 15, he's dealing with the question, is sin safe? Is sin safe? Now that we're under grace, not under law, is it okay to flirt with sin? I mean, God forgives us. We're under grace. Sin's dead, right? And Paul says, absolutely not. This is, again, a strong and passionate rebuttal and denial. I was in London once handing out tracts on a, on a subway, and I've never forgotten one lady. She was a very passionate lady, and she was very British, and she was very angry with me for giving her a tract when she realized what it was. It was Christian literature. And uh, I don't, for some dumb reason, I tried to adopt the accents of places I go so, so, that, so that I fit in. Have you ever done that? So I fit in and I don't stand out. I mean, I stand out enough as it is in, in the wrong way. But I was there and I, I was handing out these tracks. And I said, did you get one of these? <laughs> did you get one of these? And I gave it to her and she looked at it and she went, oh, she went, absolutely not. And she threw it back in my face. And I hear her voice when I'm reading this. I hear Paul saying, should we, should we continue in sin? Is, 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 is sin safe? And he says, absolutely not. No. Strong rebuttal, strong denial. 
passionate denial. And here, and he's going he's gonna to flesh out his reasons for that. He's saying, do you not understand sin? You were changed. Grace changed you, but grace didn't do anything to sin. Sin is just as deadly and seductive and dangerous and deceitful and captivating and domineering and deadly as it's ever been. And Paul doesn't ever want the church at Rome or the church at Grace Life in Central Florida to forget that. We've been changed. Sin has not been changed and won't be changed. It's always seductive. It always seeks to fascinate, captivate, dominate, and assassinate. That's what sin always wants to do. You can never trust it. It's never okay to flirt with it or throw caution to the wind. And he wants to make sure we get that. And so there's some negative, this is some deep and troubling stuff to read, but it, it's, it, it ends up being good news for us. Paul's wanting to remind his readers, and he uses, it's inescapably slave language, which may make some people feel uncomfortable. But listen, Romans was a church that was in the heart of an empire that was dominated by slavery. In fact, probably a third of the people in the congregation that Paul's writing to were slaves. They were slaves. And many of them had bought their freedom from slave, from slavery and would understand this language. They were very keen on what he was saying in ways we probably aren't. So try to imagine that you're in Rome and that slavery was something totally different than, than your pers- uh, perspective on it, okay? So uh, if you look at verse 16, he says, slaves to sin or slaves of obedience. He's comparing and contrasting masters. Verse 17 and 18, slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness? And then verse 20 to 22, slaves to sin or slaves to God? So Paul has been announcing uh, our rescue from this crushing burden of the law. And he says, why in the world, if you've been released and freed from this crushing burden of the law that once condemned you and held you hostage, why in the world would you be eager to go and surrender yourself, submit yourself, present yourself to another crushing burden of sin again. Why in the world would you do that? And so that's what this entire paragraph is really about. He's saying if you present yourself to sin again, it will play the master. It will do what it's always done. You've been rescued from that. You don't need to go present yourself to that again. You're free. You are free. You're free indeed. So that's what this section is about. And the the title of this message, the title of this message is you got to serve somebody. We got any Bob Dylan fans in here? All right. Cliff, was that you? <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> Bob Dylan converted to Christianity in 1978, and he devoted an album, well, some of the album, to some gospel songs. Uh, it was Slow Train Coming, and one of, the, one of the Grammy-winning songs on that album was Gotta Serve Somebody, and it's, it's undeniably Christian theme because he talks about it's either the devil or it's the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And I just want to read, I want to read for you some of the lyrics. If you can't see that, that's okay. Um, Because Dylan is touching on something. And I just love it when a secular artist, uh, you know, grabs hold of the truth and, and sometimes presents it to an audience that wouldn't otherwise hear it. He was talking about the tendency of the human heart to attach itself to somebody or something. We're the neutrality, people, people say, I don't serve anybody. I'm, I'm for me. Well, then you serve yourself then, right? You've got to serve somebody. There's no such thing as neutrality. Our hearts are inescapably wired. The DNA of our hearts is to seek and attach itself to some object or some person and to bow down to it. And this is what Dylan says. Check this out. No, I'm not going to sing it. You've got to have a Dylan voice to sing this. Maybe I'll get the cadence right, though. You may be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Do you hear the lyrics grabbing hold? And Man, it's a long song. So you, can, you can Google it and check out the, the lyrics later. He's saying it doesn't matter who you are. You may wear a pinstripe suit. Or you may be laying in a gutter in skid row, but make no mistake, you are presenting yourself to a slave master of some kind, and you're under his or her or its control and under its dominion. Don't say you're not. What was interesting to me, the history of this song, you know, Dylan was friends with John Lennon from the Beatles. They met before, you know, the fame really erupted. And uh, John Lennon was very unsympathetic to Bob Dylan's conversion to Christianity, and he hated this song. He hated it. It He thought it was embarrassing, and he even wrote 
he even wrote a song in rebuttal called, uh, You Gotta Serve Yourself. Isn't that interesting, man? I'm not trying to throw shade on John Lennon, um, but I thought, I thought that was interesting. He's talking about idolatry. And I've always thought maybe Dylan got this from John chapter 8 where Jesus said this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a what? Slave to sin. You practice sin, you're a slave to sin. There's no neutrality. But probably where he got that was Romans 6. And this is what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, if you present yourselves to anyone, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. And that's worship language, it's altar language, it's slave language. You present yourself to somebody. Presenting, Tommy, at your service, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to be obedient to you. I'm here for you to rule over me and control me and dominate me. And Paul is saying, why in the world would you do that? Sin is not safe to flirt with it in that way. So that's point number one. Um, you got to serve somebody. That's our outline today. Point one, you got to serve somebody. Point two, you got to see the fruit of that service. There's no such thing as a non-consequential service, right? There's always fruit that is born out. It's either bitter or it's ripe and healthy, but there is fruit. And then third, you got to stay honest. And I want to get in your kitchen just a little bit at the very end of this sermon and force you to ask yourself that question. Who are you serving and how's that going for you? So that's our outline for today. you got to serve somebody. David Foster Wallace was a uh, brilliant novelist, and he was an English professor, and he was also a deeply troubled postmodern philosopher, and he ultimately ended up taking his own life. But he's known for a famous commencement speech that he gave uh, at Keystone College, I think. And uh, this is what everyone remembers David Foster Wallace from, because it, in no sense was he a Christian, but he said something that, that sounds so much like what we're talking about in Romans 6. Check this out. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of everyday life, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Isn't that interesting? Hearing an unbeliever say that. We are all worshipers. You can pretend and, and, and be under the delusion that I'm not a worshiper, but you are worshiping someone or something. And then he says this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. True? It will eat you alive. It will eat your lunch. It will take you prisoner and do a number on you. And it will make you think that you're having a good time while it's destroying you. He says this. I don't think I put this up. If you worship money and things, if they are where, where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. I read a quote the other day. John D. Rockefeller, the height of his wealth would have made Bill Gates and Elon Musk and uh, Warren Buffett look impoverished. At, w- at one point, he owned 90% of all the oil industry in America, and he represented his wealth 1% of the U.S. economy. Mind blown. Somebody asked him, hey, Rockefeller, when are you going to have enough? How much money is enough? Do you know this quote? Do you know what he said? How much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. That's, that's, that's the language of a slave. More. That's the language of an addict. More. Just one more hit. Just one more. One more. Whatever you choose, if it's not God, will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, they're where you tap real meaning, you'll never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. I was going to show you some pictures of some uh, celebrities that had, uh, you know what, it didn't, it, I just thought, you know what, I don't want to bring that into church. Just When people worship their image, when they start getting wrinkles, they die a million deaths, don't they? They're, they're falling apart at the seams, because that was everything to them, that was their identity. I'm a pretty human being. That's your identity. Well, go and pick out which nursing home you want to look like because that's the fate of all of us, isn't it? If that's your identity, you're going you're gonna to die a million deaths before you even get old. And God says beauty is something different, by the way, doesn't he? Proverb 31, beauty is passing, charm is deceitful, but a woman who fears the Lord, she's beautiful. She shall be praised. That's another sermon for another day. Maybe a Mother's Day sermon. I don't know. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need even more power to keep your fears at bay. Hmm, what's going on right now in the world? Does that prove true? 
How much power? How much power do you need? More. Alexander the Great, whenever he conquered every known territory, it was said that he sat down and he wept because he had nobody else to conquer. That's idolatry. That's being enslaved to power. The very end of that speech, David Foster Wallace said this, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is, is that they are not seen for what they are. They are unconscious. What's he saying? He's saying we have high places and, and those are blind spots. We don't see them. We don't see the effect they're having on us. We're blinded to it. Totally blind. Have you ever talked to somebody who's in an enslaving or an addictive behavior? They don't see it. That's why people have to almost do, uh, what do you call those, when the family gets together? Thank you. I was just checking to make sure you were, you were awake. Interventions. Because we're blinded to it. I don't see it. Or we're in denial. No, 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 no. No, I can quit. Whatever, whenever I want, I can quit. Well, wh when are you going to quit? When's enough enough? It's never enough. We're enslaved. That's why one of the ways you can find out what taps into your life and gives you meaning, what makes you feel special and important and valuable and alive, here's one of the ways you can check. This, this is because I love you. I want to help you tap into your whatever hidden forms of idolatry and slaveship you have. And Paul hinted at this. I didn't get to this last week. He hinted at this earlier in chapter 6. He said, whoever you pre present yourselves to to obey with its fallen passions, and that word passion shows up all over the Bible. It's a really powerful word. It's, it's a compound Greek word. It's thumia, which is desire, with a preposition on the front. Sorry for being a geek today with Greek. Epi, epithumia, okay? Epi means over. So you got this desire, which is a good thing. God made us emotional creatures. We desire things. We crave things. But when it becomes epi, over the top, inordinate, misdirected. That's what St. Augustine called idolatry. Misordered, disordered love. Misplaced affection. Paul says one of the ways that you can know that you're enslaved to something is it's accompanied by all of this epithumia, over the top emotions. For example, if you lose a $1 bill in the parking lot, you may be sad, right? If you lose your life savings in a, in a stock market crash, you may be epi-sad, right? Paul said, we're cast down, but we're not in despair. Somebody can take something from you, and it may make you angry, but if somebody threatens your very identity by taking something from you, like attention, you get epi-angry. Am I making sense? That's the breadcrumb trail to idolatry. What makes you angry? What makes you sad? What makes you afraid? Follow the trails, my friend, and you will find an altar there. And you will find that you've given your heart to that thing, whatever it is. That's what idolatry is. I know we think of like totem poles and third world countries and ancestor worship. I got to confess to you something. I drove to church this morning and I saw somebody washing their boat. And I thought, and this is how messed up your pastor is. I thought, man, what an idol that thing is. Did you know there's such a thing as religious idolatry too? Did you know I can place myself on the altar of Christian ministry and neglect everything else in my life? And if I preach a sermon that somebody tells me, man, I didn't like that, or that didn't really make sense, or I can get epi-angry or epi-sad or epi-afraid of what you may say to me, I'm no different than that guy washing his boat in the driveway. In fact, I'm worse because I know better. We tend to think in idolatry of just, you know, secular, there's personal idolatry, cultural idolatry, religious idolatry. Paul knows that. He's, t he's telling these Roman Christians, listen, you don't tamper with sin. You've been rescued from its dominion. And you need to, you, you're dead to it. Past tense, you have died to sin. It no longer, it no longer has dominion or authority over you. So stay away from it. It's dangerous. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. And if you don't understand that, he's saying you don't understand the enslaving power of sin. That's what he's trying to help people understand. It's never safe to sin. Sin, sin always seeks control. It seeks ownership. It seeks possession by nature. That's what it wants. Sin is not content until it kills you. Ultimately, that's what sin wants. We talked about this before in, in Acts chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter 4 when Cain and Abel, remember? God, it was the first time the word sin was ever used in the Bible. And he says, sin is after you, Cain. It's at the door. That was a word picture in Hebrew of a savage animal just waiting, 
patiently waiting for the right opportunity to devour its victim. That's what sin does. I'm going to use another song here, and you guys know who that is? That's Jimi Hendrix. And he sang a song, and uh, man, I, the only reason I'm using a bunch of illustrations today is because I, I want to get your attention. I want you to think about the sermon even when it's over. Jimi Hendrix died when he was 27 years old from an overdose with a narcotic or an opioid of, of, of some kind. But he sang a song about cocaine, not so subtle, right? And maybe you haven't heard it. That's probably a good thing. But here's some of the lyrics. Well, I thought I wrote them down. I can't see them back there. Can you guys see them? Don't sing it out loud, okay? <laughs> if you've got bad news, you want to kick them blues, cocaine. If you've, had, you've had a sad day, you've got some bad news, don't worry about it, man. Snort a line. When your day is done and you've got to run, cocaine. Hey, the day's over, you need energy? Need a pick-me-up? Grab some Coke. And then, she don't lie, she don't lie, she don't lie, cocaine. That's the song. And it, isn't it interesting that he died from an, op from an opiate overdose because cocaine does lie. All, all sin lies. All slaves outside of Jesus and, and, and Christ are deceptive by nature. That's what Hebrews chapter 3 says. Sin is deceitful. It will deceive you, it will enslave you, it will harden you, and then it will destroy you bit by bit by bit, and you won't even know what's happening. You'll be like Edmund in Chronicles of Narnia with the Turkish delight. Or you'll be like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. There, I got my one illustration there, right? Took him down under the mountain for hundreds of years and just destroyed him and made him into a monster. We see people who do the most outrageous things that are capable of the, of the most hurt and murderous and, and tyrannical things, and we say monster. And what, I, what I've grown to understand is, okay, monster, but worshiper, just a really bad and misleading God that they're worshiping. That's what the, the Bible tells us. Doesn't the Bible give you human reality in a way no other book can? It paints the picture for you. Look, this is what's going on. This is why the world is the way it is and why people are enslaved to things. And this is what Paul is announcing to you, good news, good news, that the, that the power of sin is broken now for you. You've been rescued from it. Jesus has transferred you from the dominion of sin under his dominion, and he's your master, and what a much better master he is. So no, no, you don't need to go and, and sin because you think it's safe. It's not safe. It will never be safe for you. That's what he's saying. Whether we call ourselves religious or not, we all have a God. We are all worshipers. Whatever controls us is our Lord. I love Paul because he gives us a better alternative. Look what he says here in chapter 6. You are, the, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to what? What does sin lead to? Death. And by the way, that's point two. We'll slide into point two here. Uh, there's a word that it was so easy for me. I, I, I try to, to wrap my mind around what's the one theme in this passage? What's the one word? And one of the words in this passage, man, let me take Jimi Hendrix off there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next time tell me. You can, you can talk to me. <laughs> Are you guys? <laughs> the, one, of the, one of the words in this passage that stood out to me for the first time. You know, that happens sometimes. I've read, I've read Romans so many times in this chapter. I've been studying it. And it was the word leading, leading to, leading to. If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to what? Death. Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Which do you want? Death or righteousness? Paul gives us options, doesn't he? Thank you, both of you. <laughs> righteousness. <laughs> and then verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. Man, underline that. You were once a slave of sin. But you're no longer a slave. That's why I love that song. No longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God now. Something has changed radically, miraculously, powerfully. And Jesus did it. 
You're no longer a slave to sin. Thanks be to God. You don't thank the evangelist. You don't thank yourself for your ingenuity and your wisdom and your willpower. You thank God. He did it. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And, verse 18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And then in verse 19, Paul, it's almost like he apologizes. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's, he, I love this. This resonates with me. Paul's saying, look, I'm, I'm using analogies here and, and, and illustrations, so, so bear with me. He's saying, I'm using the slave metaphor because of your limitations. He's saying, this is such a mysterious and a strange thing to be enslaved by sin. I have to use a picture for you. He says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So do you hear the word leading? I guess if, if, if you talk to a psychologist, they would say, hey, look, one bad decision leads to another bad decision. And they would also say one healthy decision leads to another healthy decision. And what Paul's saying is that, okay, go ahead and serve sin. And sin will lead you and tempt you to lie. But you're not just going to lie once. Have you ever told one of those lies? This is one time. It's just, ah, it's not really lying. It's just not, I'm just not giving full disclosure. And then, I mean, I've heard stories. I was reading a, a book on Romans, and the guy listed something that happened at a workplace, and a man who told one lie, and then he had to cover it, and then he had to cover it, and he ended up telling 34 lies but before it was all said and done, and pretty much lost his respect, his reputation, and his job. And he wasn't even a believer. He was like, man, what happened? That's what sin does. You've got to see the fruit. What kind of master have you been serving, and how has it treated you? I know some of the illustrations I'm using today are somewhat graphic, but I, I just, I, I want you, I want to help you understand what Paul's saying here. Ted Bundy was a serial killer, notorious for killing. I don't need to tell you all the crimes, I'll just tell you this, it was over 30 women. So you can use your imagination why he targeted them and what he did. He was convicted, he was caught, he was tried, he was sentenced. He was executed. The day before the death penalty was enacted on Ted Bundy, he finally granted somebody an interview. You guys remember who it was? James Dobson. He was a Christian leader at the time, and he sat with, with Ted Bundy for hours. And there's a famous recorded interview uh, and, a, and a transcript of that, and I thought it was really interesting, really interesting to hear Ted Bundy chronicle, why did he do the things that he did? And he was explaining to James Dobson, look, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad never abused me. There was never any molesting. There was never, I never experienced it. I never experienced abuse. I never witnessed abuse. My mom and dad took us to church. We had a healthy, flourishing home. I have four brothers and sisters, and we love each other. He said, I would hope nobody would blame my parents for this. And then James Dobson is like, what happened? How, how, did, how did you get to this point? And here's what he said. This is what James Dobson said. He's talking about pornography as a 13-year-old kid. Once you become addicted to it, and I look at it as a kind of addiction, you look for more potent, more explicit, more graphic kinds of material. Like an addiction, you keep craving something which is harder and gives you a greater sense of excitement until you reach the point where the pornography only goes so far. And then he said this, he said, I've lived in prison for a long time now, and I've met a lot of men who were motivated to commit violence. Without exception, every one of them was deeply involved in pornography, deeply consumed by the addiction. Now, I'm not, I'm not picking on people who struggle with lust. I just think that's a powerful picture of how one act of disobedience can lead to enslavement, and, and sin just wants to take you further and further and further to more dangerous, more deadly, more destructive, more hurtful things. That's what it does. And, and I don't want you to just stay there with the Ted Bunny. I want you to think of anything. Think of a codependent relationship, how unhealthy that is and what it leads to. Think of somebody that's hurt you, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to forgive them because it feels good to be bitter. Well, guess what bitterness is going to lead to? Resentment and hatred, and gossip, and slander. It's never content just to be alone. 
Sin is always that way, always that way. It will take you further than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more dearly than you ever thought you would have to pay. That is the nature of sin. It's enslaving, it's captivating, and it pushes you, pushes you, pushes you further and you, to places you couldn't even imagine. And you can talk to people who have a li- lifelong cycle of sin, and you can talk to them about that. It just started small, but it leads to greater things. It wants to enslave you and dominate you. That's what he's saying here. And that's challenging because we remember the pleasure of sin, we the pain and the bondage, do we, and the captivity. Do you know there's actually something that's been called the Stockholm Syndrome with people that have been taken prisoner, held captive, kidnapped? There was a bank in Sweden, uh, in Stockholm, that was robbed by six violent masked men, and they took a lot of hostages. And uh, they ended up actually killing, I think, three or four people. And one of the hostages did not want to be released to the police when they finally offered rescue. She had developed a sympathy with her captors and even took up arms and helped them continue their, their crime. That's why that's where the Stockholm Syndrome gets its name from that bank in Stockholm, Sweden. But that happens to people all the time. They develop uh, sympathy. They develop a, a positive bond of some kind through brainwashing. And they forget how terrible their life was. It happens to people who've been kidnapped. It happens to people in cults. It happens to people who've been molested. And it happens to us too. We remember the pleasure of sin, don't we? We don't remember the captivity. We don't remember the bondage. We don't remember the pain, the destroyed relationships. This is one of the only times in the Bible where the Apostle Paul invites us to consider our past. You know, usually he's saying, hey, look, moving forward, pressing on, it's forgiven, it's clean. But here, he says, look, because I want to grip you and grab you by the shoulders and say, look, bro, it's not okay to flirt with sin. I want you to think back. And that's what he's inviting us to do. If you look at verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time, he says, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul's saying, this is one of the only times you'll ever find Paul saying like, hey, look back. What good, what good came out of the enslavement? What good came out of it? Don't just fantasize over the, oh, man, that, that, that was great. You remember that? You remember, the, you remember the, the glory days? You remember when we did this? It's like, do you remember the captivity, though? Do you remember the guilt? Do you remember the emptiness, the loneliness, the, hate, the self-hatred, the loathing, the depression and the grief and the agony? That's what we are so quick to forget because, listen, sin has pleasure just for a season, though. It's, it, it tastes sweet in the mouth, and then it's bitter in the stomach. Paul doesn't want us to ever forget that, and I don't either. For people that think that grace is throw caution to the wind, no, man, grace ought to help you put boundaries in your life. Not be enslaved to them, but just say, man, I don't ever want to go back to that old life again. I want to move forward. That happened to, uh, happened to the children of Israel, didn't it? Can you imagine they were in bondage in Egypt? How many years were they there? 400 years. The whips, the taskmasters, the straw, the, the, the backbreaking, the being enslaved to Pharaoh, building cities for somebody else through oppression and cruelty and tyranny. And all it took was just a track through the wilderness. And they said, you remember, you remember how good the melons used to taste in Egypt? Does that blow your mind when you're reading that? Seriously. You're like, what in the world? <laughs> They're like, Moses, we want the leeks and the onions and the melons. We had meat pots in Egypt. Is there not enough graves in Egypt? Why didn't you just leave us where we were? And you're, you go back and you read Exodus and you read the burning bush passage. And Moses is told by, by Yahweh, he says, look, I've heard the groans of my people. I've seen their oppression. <laughs> like, How can you forget 400 years of groaning? We, don't we do the same thing? We do the same thing. The hostages at the Stockholm Bank in Sweden did it. The children of Israel did it. And we do it. And Paul says, you don't have to do that. Really remember the bitter fruit of what sin was like. And now present yourself to a, to a new master and create new healthy patterns that lead to sanctification. 
That's the, that's the alternative here. He says if you, one unhealthy decision leads to another one, one sin habit leads to another sin habit, but also on the flip side of that, and I love that Paul waited until chapter 6. He didn't start Romans 1 and start talking about, now here's how you live a flourishing life. He had to give us the theology underneath it, right? And then that led to the new identity, and then it leads to the new lifestyle. It's like he does in Ephesians. Chapter 4, he waits till Ephesians 4 after all the rich gospel doctrine. And then he says, now, put off the old man, put on the new man. Put off lying, put on truth-telling. You know, if you're a notorious liar, or what do they, what do they call that? Uh, not a kleptomaniac, something else. Anyway, if, if, if being deceptive has been a way of life for so long, and now you're in Christ, and I told you this last week, we got we to gotta elevate our goals. <laughs> we say, oh, okay, now I'm a Christian, I, just, I guess I can't lie anymore, right? Is that it, though? Is, is that all that Paul's saying here? Now that we're Christians, we don't lie anymore. Listen, here's, here's a, a test for you. When is a thief no longer a thief? When he stops stealing is what most people say. No, he's just taking a break. <laughs> he's no longer a thief when he does what? When he becomes generous. When he gives. When he gives things away, right? When he wants to help people. When he stops consuming and he starts creating and producing. That's what Paul's saying. Look, if you've lived your entire life being a consumer, a consumer, a consumer, and maybe, maybe you've grown up in the social media hype, and that's your life. It's like, man, this, this, this thing has me. It has me. But now I'm in Christ. So why don't you, why don't you create instead of consuming? <laughs> why don't you create new, new patterns, new rhythms, new forms of obedience to Jesus? Say, you know what? That's not going to hold me anymore. I'm going to be a different person. God's Spirit is going to fill me. He, he's going to empower me. He's going to help me. And it's not that I'm just not going to lie anymore. Now I'm going to be a truth teller. I'm going to stand up for the truth. I'm, going to, I'm not going to just not look at porn anymore. I'm going to actually stand up for women's rights now that have been enslaved. And I'm going to stand against human trafficking. And I'm not just going to stop sleeping around. I'm going to go volunteer at the pregnancy center and help people that are entrapped in that lifestyle. Do you see? Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying one thing leads to another. That's what this passage is all about. And I love, in verse 17, he says this, Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You have become obedient from the heart. He's still rooting us in this truth that behavior comes from the heart. We talked about that last week. I showed you a picture of, a, of an iceberg. On top was activity, and underneath was what? Man, it's only been one week. We already forgot, didn't we? Identity. That's okay. Identity is underneath. And what you're doing, your behavior, your actions, your life, that's just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. What you're believing at any given time is underneath. And Paul is saying, since you are obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you were entrusted, he's talking about the doctrine. Because listen, guys, it all starts in the heart. That's where it starts. That's why Solomon, in writing to his son, the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, is one of the most important verses in Proverbs. And he says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring all the issues of life. That's where this all begins, this, this uh, presenting yourself to a master. It starts in your heart. If you say, Jesus, you have rescued me. You own me. I belong to you. You're a good master, and I'm going to surrender myself to you. I'm going to present myself to you and my members to you as instruments of righteousness. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. That's what Paul is talking about here. So here's the last thing, and really quick point here. We've already talked about you got to serve somebody, and you got to see the fruit, and here's the third point. you got to stay honest. you got to stay honest and say, okay, who am I serving? What kind of fruit is that bearing in my life? Are you happy with the direction of your life? That sounds weird saying that in a sermon, but... <laughs> But really, I, I really want to invite you to, to take inventory today. Let's do that. Let's just take stock. How is your serving your life? It's, one of, we, we, it's undeniable, right? We're all serving somebody. You've got to serve somebody. So who are you serving, and how is that going for you? Is it leading to greater and greater righteousness and sanctification, or are you living a life of captivity? And maybe even it's, it's gone underground now and it's secret. You don't even talk about it or share with anybody. You're in that, I'm fine, I'm fine. 
mode. You know, there's some interesting verses in the Bible that talk about idolatry. Psalm 115, the psalmist is laying out, you know, idols are, they're dead, they're not alive. They have no eyes they can't see. They have no ears they can't hear. They have no mouth they can't speak. And then he says this, those who make them become like them. Isn't that powerful? It's like, you know, you will become what you worship. You will start to resemble the object of affection. Like Paul says, like the psalmist says, like David Foster Wallace says, you become what you worship. Here, here's a really powerful passage from 2 Corinthians 3. Check this out. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's leading, leading. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you hear what, that's, what he's saying? Paul is saying, look. Jesus is your new master. You're serving him. You're presenting yourself to him, surrendering to him, following him. You're looking at him. You're beholding him. And something really strange and mysterious and powerful is happening. You are being transformed into his image. <laughs> the, the, who else would you rather become like? Of all the people you could resemble, what would you want your life to take the shape of? Jesus. <laughs> Think of Jesus. I mean, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is, is the, the theme verse in Mark. And it says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. How would you like to serve a master like that? That came not to be served, but to serve and give himself. The one human being who ever came and didn't take, but gave. And gave everything that he had. And gave the most valuable thing that we needed. He gave himself. How would you like to behold him and become like him? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, that's what we do when we, when we rehearse the gospel, celebrate the good news of what King Jesus came and did for us. We start to resemble him. We start to look like him. We start to think like Christ. We start to be salt and light. We start to, to show people what the kingdom of God is like everywhere we go, like little previews, little trailers of coming attractions. We're peacemakers, not conflict creators. That's what this is talking about. That's what Paul is talking about here. So here's, here's the uh, last thing. How many, how many people grew up here, here in the Romans Road? I wonder if some people even came to Christ. This is kind of a form of evangelism. It compiled some verses in the book of Romans together for, uh, for a gospel track or for just a, a way to share the gospel with somebody. And here, here are those verses. I know it's not the greatest visual in the world. It's the only one I could find. I'm sorry. But it starts out, I think, in uh, chapter 3. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let me ask you a question. We're, we're on our way out here. If, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what? He's right. He, he's got me pegged. Not me, Paul. He's got me pegged. I'm enslaved. I'm under the dominion and authority of somebody who has held me hostage. And I'm not happy. Sure, there's pleasure there, but I'm not happy. I feel trapped. I feel alone. I feel guilty. I feel dead. And I don't want to live this life anymore. Man, that was me as a 22-year-old kid. That was, that was my testimony. I said, I'm, I want to be done with this. I go out and I do these things, and I feel alive for that night, and then I feel dead and empty and guilty the next day. And I don't want it anymore. I feel, I feel enslaved. I want to be rescued. So this is the Romans road. Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means we've missed the mark. We've gone astray. We have failed. And then Romans chapter 5, I think is the next verse. Is that up there? 5.8 where it talks about, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't say, hey look, clean your life up and then we'll talk about you joining me. Right? And ruling over you. But you gotta, you got to do something with yourself. You're a mess. I don't let people like that come into my kingdom. That's not Christianity. Christ says while you were still enemies. While you were still a mess. And had no hope of cleaning yourself up. Willpower does not get you into the kingdom. In Christianity folks. Desperation does. All who are thirsty. right? And then Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our passage. That's our passage. It's like, look, the, sla the slave 
the slave master that you've been serving, what's been the wages for that? Death. Death. That's the wages. Guess what? Do you want, do you want another payout that you can't earn? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. You align yourself with Jesus. You repent. You turn. The word repent is a Greek word, and it means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Turn from your sin and cling to Jesus through faith and say, God, please forgive me. I'm dirty. I'm empty. I'm guilty. I'm hopeless. I'm a danger to myself and others. I'm a mess. I want to be in your kingdom. I don't want to live this life anymore. That's all you got to say. It's not a magical prayer like you rub a, a genie, rub a lamp, and a genie pops out. It's just saying, Lord, will you take me? Will you take me? And God, the Bible says, all who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. And then Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, what a master. Who would not want to give themselves to the person who offers a rescue like that? And says, I even offer you to become like me. And give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And rescue you from the dominion of sin. And seat you together up here with me. And have the hope of heaven when you die. Do you have that hope? Are you serving Jesus? Are you serving yourself? Are you serving sin? Are you serving the devil? You're serving somebody. And God wants you to look at the fruit today and consider. Let's do that. Lord, as our worship leaders come and... And play a song for us to just think about what we've heard, think about our life, to think, help us to think clearly, help us to think honestly and accurately, and be, be real with you, be real with ourselves. Lord, even, even a, a group this size, I know that there are people here, Lord, and they're, they're being held captive right now to a life they never imagined they would be trapped in, and they're hopeless, and you've reminded them of that. Or maybe there's somebody at home watching right now, Lord. And they're ashamed to even talk about the things that they do, maybe in secret. They feel helpless to the power of them. They feel like that's been an unbroken pattern of life for them for as long as they can remember, and they have no hope of rescue. Lord, will you please speak the good news of rescue to them today through this passage. I pray that they would come to you openly, humbly, broken, honestly, with repentance in their heart, with confession in their mouth, Lord, and they would find what you said about yourself to be true, Lord. All who are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Lord, the, the other slave masters will not give us rest. They'll break us and kill us and exhaust us and weary us and deplete us and destroy us. But you offer us rest. You offer us safety. You offer us rescue, Lord. May we come and find that today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they're going to play and, and you can... This is your moment to sit and reflect, and we're going to have a prayer team in the back. And if there's any way that we can help you or serve you, will you please make it a point to come and see me or one of the members of our prayer team before you leave today, okay? Thank you, Vitaly. want to thank you. Well, friends, there's, there's so much to look forward to. And the next song we're going to sing... I'm 90% sure everybody knows it. I don't know if you want to you know, stand or sit, but I pray that as we sing, that we would imagine what it will be like to be in the presence of Jesus. What an amazing thought. This morning I got out on my patio and I looked at the sunrise and how beautiful it was. And yet, this is nothing compared to what is coming. And we are all participator of it. And it's going to be glorious. Let's sing together. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me I can only imagine yeah surrounded by your 
your glory what will my heart feel will i dance for you jesus or in of you be still will i stand in your presence or to my knees will i fall will i sing hallelujah will i be able to speak at all i can only imagine i can only imagine i can only imagine when the day comes and i find myself standing in the sun i can only imagine what all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all I can only imagine? team and thank you Tommy for bringing the word this morning. I just have a couple announcements before we can all get out in the warm sun and thaw out. It's, uh, it's a little chilly in here this morning um, but it's all good. Um, uh, first announcement the Central Florida Pregnancy Center that we partner with they have their walk for life they do this every year and we would love to have a group of people out there to support this pregnancy center um, it is Saturday, March 12th. It starts at 9.30, and it runs until 2 o'clock. And then after the, the walk, they have burgers and hot dogs. Um, so if you want to bring your family out there and have a great time and raise support for this um, incredible ministry that we partner with, again, that's March 12th, um, coming up in just a couple of weeks. Also, we um, are going to a concert. Uh, you are invited the uh, Chris Tomlin Hillsong United. Um, this invite is for students and their families and really anybody who wants to come join us. If you want to secure a ticket where we can all sit together, visit our the church app, the Grace Life Church app, or our website, and you can purchase through there by March 20th. If, if it's after March 20th, you can obviously still get a ticket. You just might not be near us, but that's okay. Um, it'll be a uh, at the Amway Center in Orlando, that's April the 9th, is the day of the concert, 7 p.m. And we'll meet at the, uh, the church office in, in Orange City at 5 p.m. to caravan over there. 
for the concert at 7. I think that could be an incredible time of worship, um, just in a stadium full of people worshiping the God of the universe, I think can be um, just a powerful thing. So you're invited to join us for that. And lastly, we have our three big prayers for this year. Just by way of reminder, um, we are all praying for gospel conversations for us to have with our friends, neighbors, family members. We're also praying for the next generation, the student ministry, um, that they would be poured into, that they would be loved well and become just incredible disciples of Jesus to lead now and to lead in the future. And also for our own location, we're looking for a physical presence, a church building where we can gather um, not just on Sundays, but be present throughout the entire week for our community and for our neighbors. Um, and if you're looking just for maybe some handlebars, uh, some direction on what to pray, you can also go on the church app and we have a prayer guide. We have just some prayers written out for each of these categories um, that you can just read through, reflect on, and maybe help you find language to pray um, for these things. Um, so before we go, I'll read our charge so you can stand with me. And we will read this together. Let's read. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. <laughs> 